Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmati, brought to you by lisatarmati.com. Hey everyone, welcome to Pushing the Limits. This week I have found another fantastic guest for you. I have Commander Dr. Joe Dottori. Now, Dr. Joe is a ex-Special Forces, a Special Operations Navy retired officer. He also has a PhD in biomedical engineering, is an expert in everything aeronautical engineering, is, and works on spaceships and spacesuits, as well as hyperbaric oxygen therapy and real deep sea diving. He is an absolute, absolutely fascinating character, and I know you're going to get a heck of a lot out of this interview with Commander Dr. Joe Dottori. Uh, before we head over to the show, um, just want to remind you about our epigenetics program. If you haven't done it yet, why not? You need to do this. This is about understanding your genetics, what your DNA is all about, and how to optimize all of your lifestyle factors, your food, your exercise, understanding your personality, what environment you'll do well in from a physical environment, temperature-wise, all of these aspects we can tell you from these tests. So if you want to find out, get a user manual for your body, please go and check out what we do at lisatamati.com. Hit the Work With Us button and you'll see our epigenetics program. We also have our NMN, our uh, longevity and anti-aging supplement that uh, I'm working with Dr. Alina Seranova, the founder of NMN Bio. So if you want to check that out, go to nmnbio.nz. We also have our run coaching programs as well. We do a lot here <laughs> at lisatamati.com. So make sure you check out everything that we do. Um, just head on over to our website, lisatamati.com. Right, now we're over to the show with Dr. Uh, Joe Dutturi, and I do hope that you find this as fascinating a conversation as I did, both from a a mental toughness point of view, from a work ethic point of view, from an aeronautical engineering point of view, from hyperbaric, from extreme environments. We we go all over the place. So enjoy Joe Dutturi. Hey everyone, welcome back to Pushing the Limits. Today I have a superstar, amazing man for you. He's laughing over there in the camera. Dr. Joe Dottori, welcome to the show. Um, I'm really, really fascinated to be able to talk to you. Um, uh, uh, Dr. Kirk Parsley, shout out to you for hooking me up with Joe. I really appreciate the connection. Um, Another fascinating man. Um, Joe, welcome. It's lovely to have you here today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for the invite. Oh, it's going to be a fascinating conversation because um, your your background and your story is quite uh, quite a you know an amazing one. Um, were you okay. always an overachiever? <laughs> no. So the God's honest truth is, I finished lower middle third of my high school graduating class, and they were like, I went to go to college, and they were like. Yeah, we think you did too poorly on the SAT to get into college. So really? I almost had nothing left but to join the Navy. I mean, you know, I'm sure I could have been a light bulb salesman. But uh, so I joined the Navy. And uh, from that point on, it was like, oh, you learn this way, not that way. Ah, we've been fucking that up. all. Year. Sorry, we've been messing that up. That's fun. All right. <laughs> So, so uh, did you have anything like dyslexia or any of your learning disabilities or anything like that? Or was it just yeah, I mean, teenage so, boy stuff? So I had what you would probably consider a learning disorder right now. Uh, I, have, uh, I have congenital ocular albinism, oh, which yeah? leads to very poor vision. 
Yep. So my vision is really, really poor. So as opposed to wearing the Coke bottle size glasses in school, because kids beat up kids with glasses, exactly. I decided that that was not going to happen. And I decided that I was just going to walk around like this. So <laughs> when you walk around and you can't see the board, you don't do well in school. So there you go. And but, you know, then I stopped and I got a piece of humble pie and said, OK, I got I got I can do something different than this. And then I found something that interests me. Right. You know, so. And that's part of the, that's part of the problem eh, with kids at school. And I think, you know, a lot of kids fall through the cracks at school because we're teaching them stuff that they like don't see any relevance in. In right. the big classes and all of that sort of stuff. So, but then you went into the Navy. Was the Navy like something for you, like that just opened up your world? Because it does for a lot of kids. You go into the military at all, sort of teaches them discipline and wakes them up, <laughs> makes them into adults. So the, the Navy, I Navy gave me basically everything that I have right now uh, came from the Navy. It's the, uh, you know, like my mother gave me the work ethic. Short of that, it was real easy because. Imagine you went to boot camp and they threw a trash can down the aisle at five o'clock in the morning and you've already been up for like 20 minutes. Wow. You're laying in bed, you're awake. Cause <laughs> why? Cause your mom made you get up at the butt crack of dawn, go do chores, go do all your crap. All and right. then, you know, when they said stand up straight, you stood up straight. Why? Cause they would yell at you if you didn't. And if they did yell at you, then it's like, Oh, you're just like my mom and dad. You do love me. Oh, this is great. <laughs> so, <laughs> you felt right at home. Super easy. I was like, I was like, they're yelling at me. Oh, they love me. This is uh, this is something I want to be doing. You know. So, so yeah, it was. It's you know, show up on time. If you can't be on time, be early, and then you know, do your damn job. And I was like, okay, this is pretty easy and straightforward. Now what? Like that's it. That's all you got. And then it was like, well, you know, you could be an officer and go back to college. I'm like, wait, I, I can go to college. You're like, yeah, if you want to go to college at night. I'm like. Oh, I can do that. I went to college at night. And then it was like, oh, yeah. Ah, okay. You now know how to learn. Wow. Got it. So now I got my new learn method on. And then, you know, I, I then I got a commissioning program. Then I got commissioned into the special operations community. And it's all, all downhill from there. <laughs> well, let's dive into the special forces a little bit because that's a fascinating world as well. So, uh, you, you, so you did go to college. You did, what did you study in there at the beginning? Uh, computer science, because it yep. was the easiest thing that I could get a really quick degree in. <laughs> That's a God's honest truth. Really? I was a, I was one of these computer. So so I was one of these computer like proteges when I was in high school. Right. Um, you know, we were there was a whole sting in New York City over these companies that would hire these kids. We would write programs and then they'd give us like a hundred dollars for writing the program, which is like everything in the world to a freaking teenage yeah, kid. New York. Absolutely. And, and they would sell them for a couple hundred dollars a piece. So it's like, so they did this whole thing and it was like, yeah, a big story, but bottom line is computers were easy to me. They made logical sense, like right. zeros, one, logic, left, right. Got it. You know? So computer science was an easy thing for me to get a, a bachelor's in. And then, you know, I did that. And it's like, okay, I had, uh, I had, uh, two years and nine months to get a four-year degree. Wow. So they were like, ready, go. And I was like, okay. Wow. You, know. See, you must be pretty bloody bright to do that because I look at a computer and I can't work out which end to open it on. <laughs> no, it's just, it's just different. It's a different way of thinking, right? It's just a different way of thinking. And now I look at, I'm, I'm talking to you on a Whamadyne HP 
yeah. that I couldn't do a damn thing on right now. I can barely open windows for Christ's sake. <laughs> but you know, like the the insides, I can work, but that's about it. So. Got yeah, and, and 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 so you did that, and you sort of opened up your world, and then you know you realized you weren't dumb, and you could you could do all this sort of stuff. And then you went into special forces. Now everyone knows to go into special forces is not a walk in the park. What was that like for you? So it was uh, it was really interesting. So uh, a minor distinction point, just to be very 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 clear: Kirk was in special forces. I was in special operations. Ah. So minor difference in it. Uh, so that is diving, explosive ordnance disposal, and mine countermeasures. That's what I did. Yep. Nobody ever shot at me in anger. So I want to make sure I was not a Navy SEAL. I was a Navy Special Operations Officer, and my bent was diving and uh, salvage. And I did a little bit of explosive ordnance disposal stuff, but not a lot. So uh, that was mostly on the diving side of the house, too. So bottom line being, uh, it was not a walk in the park. It was physically very demanding, mentally very challenging. It's one of the hardest schools I'd ever been to. And by this time, I already had a uh, a bachelor's degree. And it was like, wow, this this is pretty tough to do, you know? So... Yeah, but you work through that and then mentally, physically challenging, and then you push down the road, you know. No, but amazing. Voice. <clears throat> yeah, well, a lot of people don't get that far along. So, uh, you know. Yeah. Um, so let's look, let's, let's talk a little bit about your diving stuff because you've done some extreme stuff in your life. You've gone to incredible depths. I, I heard on one of your interviews, what was it 1,947 feet was your deepest dive or something? And I'm like, what the hell? Like, that's just insane. So, and you're an expert also in the area of hyperbarics, which uh, I wanted to, to dive into a little bit today because that's one of my pet uh, favorite subjects as well. And I wanted to sort of ask you a whole lot of stuff. You know what you remind me of? And I hope this isn't an insult, but you know, like one of those dudes in the Clive Castler novels, you know, you know, do you know the Clive Castler novels? Oh, Clive Cussler, Dirk Pitt, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You remind me of one of those characters. <laughs> oh, thank you. I think, I hope. I hope no, that's good. good. In Dirk, a good way. Dirk is described as a handsome man, so I'm, yes, I'm exactly. down with A handsome yeah. man, very good in the sea, <laughs> diving, Look, crazy wait, adventure. Wait till you see the book that I'm writing. I just met with my publisher, and uh, my editor is finishing up the edits, so hopefully in the next two months or so, We'll have the semi-final edit, and then publisher is going to go crazy. So awesome! I, I can't wait to read it. Yep. T- it's a fictional pub- book. It's fiction, but it's based upon fact. Oh, uh, we we call it fiction. So it'll be it'll be fun and interesting. Oh wow, that's that that does sound really interesting. With your with your stories, I'm sure it'll be packed full of uh, action. Um, <clears throat> so can you? Tell us a little bit about diving. Like, how do you get to do sort of these extreme dives? And, and you've uh, you've worked in some of the most extreme environments on Earth, with, you know, as far as the diving stuff's concerned. Tell us a little bit about, because for someone who's never been dived, like I've never dived except snorkeling, and so I have no concept of any of this sort of stuff. Um, tell us what all about that. So as a as a Navy diver, they basically don't train you to swim. They train you to walk on the bottom. So once we did that school, you get Navy dive school, which is six months long. For us, it was six months long. And then salvage officer school and all that other stuff that went with it. Um, we learned how to salvage ships off the bottom of the ocean. Think Pearl Harbor, right? Pearl Harbor, wow. a bunch of ships sink. You can bring them up, that kind of thing. Wow. So we learned how to do that kind of stuff. And then I realized that I learned how to walk on the bottom and that I needed to learn how to dive. So I increased my civilian knowledge. Uh, 
prior to going to Navy dive school and then during Navy dive school and then at the Navy dive school. I was working on all my civilian knowledge. So I became a great diver from the perspective of all diving because I, I made the opportunity to do it, right? It was one of these like, all right, I want to get better at my job and I wanted to be the best at my job. So I'd get in the water and I would be more functional, better at kicking, better at swimming, better at up current, better at down current, better at working underwater in general because I wanted to be good at my craft. It was like, okay, you got to be good. Remember the work ethic that my mom beat me into, right? <laughs> so, you know, if, you, if, if you're not going to, if you're not going to bring it, bring your A game, otherwise, uh, you know, stay home. So, um, so that's what I wound up doing. And, uh, and, and it afforded me more opportunity to get into stuff. And then I started writing papers on it. Um, and then I was impressing the upper up brass and I was like, listen, what if we did it this way? What if we use this gas? What if we use this style of diving? Wow. What if we did this? What if we did that? We could change this. We could change for the better. And they were like, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. You're not so dumb as you look. I'm like, yeah, thank you. You know, and then before you know it, uh, some guy called me in the uh, in the middle of the night, one night where he was, and I was on happened to be on the East Coast, and he said, "Hey, listen, I'm the guy that's in charge of deep submergence unit, uh, the diving detachment. I would like you to relieve me." And I'm like, well, "Wait, what?" I'm like, "No, I, I'm I have a payback tour. I just finished my master's degree in astronautical engineering, and uh, I had to do a payback tour at the National Reconnaissance Office, and I was already slated with orders. Matter of fact, where I was was at a place to look at going to the National Reconnaissance Office, right? Yep. Um, so as I'm as I'm there, the guy called me. He said, "No, no, no. We took care of all that. Uh, I want you to relieve me. You're going to be out here. I need you to be out here by mid-December." I'm like. <laughs> Okay. Why? Because he saw a couple papers that I wrote. He saw how much diving stuff I did. He saw that I was an expert in the field. And, you know, he's like, I think you could do a good job here. I'm like, all right, let's rock on. Wow. And so you went there and, and uh, where did that take you? Uh, so I became the uh, officer in charge of deep submergence unit uh, diving detachment. And uh, that's where I met our, our illustrious friend, Kirk Parsley. <laughs> he's uh, awesome. He- <laughs> he comes walking in with this seal pin on, right? But he's got doctor epaulets on. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, damn it, you know, Doc, I don't know him from a hole in the wall. I'm like, you know, Doc, you can't just go to the store and buy any freaking device you want, put it on your thing. Oh, oh, wait, look at the size of his quads. <laughs> yeah. like quad I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That guy's got broad shoulders. Oh, geez. Oh, he just might be here. Yeah. Okay. He is actually <laughs> that plus that. <laughs> that plus that and a bag of chips to go along with it. So, uh, well, bottom line, uh, you know, so I went through that. I became a one atmosphere suit pilot. I uh, I did the transfer on pressure protocol. I did a lot of stuff there, including pressurized rescue module. And, uh, you know, we, we brought that into existence. And then when I was done with that tour, um, the Navy at U.S. Special Operations Command asked me to go build dry combat submersible at SOCOM in Tampa. I was like, okay. No problem. So I came back to Tampa, which is where I live now. And, uh, you know, I did about four years uh, designing and building dry combat submersible from a program of record where where the admiral just said, hey, Aquanaut, get up to my office. Here's $22 million. Go build me dry combat submersible. Wow. And I'm like, yeah, but wait, I, I need more money. And he's like, Commander, which part of go build me dry combat submersible don't you understand? <laughs> I'm like, yes, sir. Recognize this correct answer when told, right? So I yeah, just went yeah. on I didn't know that I couldn't do it. So I just did it. Wow. I love it. 
you're breaking rules. And, and, you know, like the, the underlings of the Admiral were like, you're breaking rules. And I was like, okay, great. So here's what the Admiral told me. Yeah. He said, look, you can break any rule that you want. Cause I make, he said, you can't break any laws, yeah. but you can break all the rules that you want. And I was like, <laughs> yes, sir. Okay. Right. <laughs> Yeah, all right. It's what you call delegation. Yeah, he's delegation. He's yeah. like, oh, yeah, I want you to fix that, Joe. I'm like, yes, sir, I can fix that. <laughs> wow. And so you took over this massive project and just did it somehow uh, yep. by bending and breaking a few of their obviously not so important rules. <laughs> and making our own rules. What we wound up doing was making what we called uh, state rules uh, for, um, for uh, you know, uh, organization state rules for uh, the American Bureau of Shipping. Um, so we, we, we make our own rules to classify things and to certify something though. It has to be doing this. It has to do that. It has to be able to do this, you know? So, uh, we made those rules and then all of a sudden now I think it's a, a $1.4 billion program of record. Oh, and I yeah. think we have three with two in, in build right now. So it's like, we're, we're finally building them. Like one of the things that we did wrong as the United States of America is we, decided to stop building rockets and we used a reusable spacecraft. Mm -hmm. What did that do? It screwed up our ability to make new rockets. So here we are using the same old rocket over and over and over and over and over where we could have been redesigning and making a new one and keeping the energetic base alive and making sure that we had rocket experts in the United States. We don't have a rocket expert, man. We relied upon solid rocket boosters and, and, a couple of port nozzles that had been designed in 1975. Wow. So it's like, so now here we are going, you know, here we were going into space with something that, you know, I had more computing power in my phone than it wow. did on the, uh, on the space shuttle itself, you know? Yep. 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 And, and so, yeah, so that's where they've gone wrong. And, you know, have they, cause you've gone and done. In my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's not, not so humble opinion, I would say. <laughs> the one that you actually know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so you you went and also did a PhD. What did you do the right. PhD in? Because, like, you know, you, had, you didn't have enough sort of uh, achievements on your belt. So when I finished the Navy after 28 years, they offered me a great job doing almost the same thing that I was doing, only in civilian clothes, and they said, we'll let you grow your hair long. And I was like, <laughs> I am done suckling off the government. I'm done. Yep. I want to do something totally different. So I sat around and I thought about a bunch of stuff. And then um, I wanted to write a paper and I, I wanted to write a paper. And it started with the ketogenic diet. And because um, there is something uh, there's something called an epileptic seizure. And the epileptic seizure yep. is somewhat similar to a central nervous system oxygen toxicity seizure. Mm -hmm. So we hypothesized back in the early 90s. Uh, I'm sorry, the uh, early 2000s, that if you use a uh, ketogenic diet, you can stave off this yep. seizure activity mm -hmm. on one side. I wonder if it'll work for hyperbaric oxygen. Yeah. So since I wanted to do that, I started to write a paper. And then I remember distinctly, somebody was like, oh, well, you really can't submit this paper because you need to be a PhD. And yeah. I was like, what? Like, it's hard? <laughs> he was like, well, yeah, it's actually very hard. It's a lot of work. And I was like... Now I know exactly what I'm going to do and I know exactly why I'm going to do it. Right. So I, I was like, you realize that I have 28 years yeah. as a diving. This is my diving is my jam, right? Like yeah. this is my, jam. you know, your shit. Yeah. 
and, 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 you know, I'm a commander in the Navy and I was the special boat guy. And it meant nothing. You had no PhD. Jack, Jack, nothing. Right. So then I went back. So five years later, I got a PhD in biomedical engineering uh, with, with an emphasis on life support stuff. And uh, the long-term answer was I went to go submit that paper and I was like, Oh, by the way, I have a PhD and I'm a commander. So we can play this game where you call me doctor or commander or Mr. Or Joe. I don't care. But now you can't say that I can't play at the table. So there you go. And nanny, it, nanny, isn't that a stupid system though? Like, you know, like I've been um, toying with the idea, of go- the idea of going back and doing a PhD myself because I don't have like, you know, I'm not like you. I don't have as many achievements as you, but I've got a, you know, background in doing crazy ass shit and running. And oh no, I read. I read. You're 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 actually pretty cool. I was <laughs> well, like, damn, that looked like it hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was there's quite a lot of lot of hurt. But you know, you have all these experiences, and I and I I get pissed off when I see that really intelligent people like that lady I was just mentioning before, Jane McClellan, who I just had on my podcast, who who saved her own ass from cancer three times. And then I right. spent 20 years so deep in the research that she's really revolutionized the way that, that and, and doctors all over the world are using her protocols and her systems, right? But she hasn't got a PhD and she hasn't been to medical school. But I tell right. you, that lady, lady knows her stuff, you know? Yep. She doesn't actually need a PhD to tell her that. <laughs> and we don't need her to go to waste another five years going to do that instead of doing what she's doing. Um, so sometimes yeah. there's this... You know, because and your story sort of sort of resonated with me, um, but you went and did it anyway, which is just kudos to you. Like that's, and you would have learned a heck of a lot more, of course, in that process. But so you wrote yeah. this paper, and and you. So I wrote the paper on ketosis and the ketogenic diet, and uh, it being prophylactic to central nervous system oxygen toxicity. Yep. Apparently, we went right to manual testing, man testing, because uh, I didn't know any better. Right, I'm just like. What the hell do I know? I'm just, you know. And then once the paper's done, um, I got some attention from Dom, the Agostino, right? Wow. He was like, hey, no, why don't you uh, why don't you come to my lab and work in my lab? So I was working with Dom for a little while and we did some junk together. Not not on a uh, full-time like paid level or anything like that. Yeah. I don't want to mislead you. But uh, he and I wrote a couple of chapters and books together at least. So, you know. Pretty cool um, dude yes. too. Huh? He's a cool dude, and he did a lot. You you did a lot of work together on this oxygen toxicity thing. So so what happens? So just for the listeners, so when you're doing yep. uh, deep dives, so say say seals underwater doing really deep dives, and they've got to be on rebreathers or um, so that they're not giving away where their location is. Correct me if I'm going off track here, but uh, so and and they on on oxygen and at those depths with that amount of pressure. You're hyper, yep. hyper oxygenating the body and cause can cause seizures in the brain, which can, of course, be deadly for, for divers under the sea. So this was right. the problem that you were tackling along right. with. And that's also for epileptic seizures, a similar sort of a, a thing. Same, same general principle. We think it's the same or similar mechanism of action. Yep. So we're trying, we're, you know, it's still the jury's still out. We still yep. don't know for sure. But it seems to be prophylactic to central nervous system oxygen toxicity. So you're exactly right. Uh, one thing I would add is it's not the seizure that kills you. It's the drowning. Yes, right? of course. When yeah. you seize, you spit the regulator out. When you spit the regulator out, when you're yeah. done with the seizure, it ends. <gasps> and you take that first breath in and you don't have a regulator in your mouth, you're dead. Yeah. Right? Because you just drown. 
So, yeah. yeah. And this happens very quickly eh? in a hyperbaric environment. It can happen within 10, 15 minutes. Pressures, like if you lock out of a submarine. Now, remember, I was helping build dry combat submersible where we were going to try and thwart some of these things. But if you lock out at 60 feet, you're at 2.81 PO2. That's high partial pressure of oxygen to be in the water on, on a LAR5 or swimming around with 100% oxygen. Yeah, it's yeah. really good to not have any bubbles, but it's really bad to have a seizure. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so this is a, and this is a problem. So, and a lot of the, the divers, of course, are not going to tell you if they're having problems in this area, are they? Because, uh, yeah. you know, because yeah. that's, so as a matter of fact, that's what my PhD was on was a early warning detection system for when the autonomic nervous system is stressed, such wow. as in oxidative stress or in, uh, hypercapnic stress or in car or in, uh, um, uh, decompressive stress. Wow. So, I found that if you if you draw out the autonomic nervous system and the heart rate variability a certain way uh, on a on a plot that we designed and patented, that you could definitely show changes in the autonomic nervous system prior to the symptom, the physical symptom of either central nervous system oxygen toxicity, pulmonary oxygen toxicity, hypercapnia, or decompressive stress. So it's like this is a pretty damn good thing, right? So like Heck this yeah. is an early warning detection. And what we did was we wound up putting a vibrating alarm inside this thing that is this heart rate variability. So it's just basically a cell phone vibrator. It goes, and whatever I'm doing in the middle of it, you can't ignore it, right? You can't ignore a cell phone that's on your chest, right? No. You have to wake up, right? So whatever you're doing, you stop and you look at your, your, your display and you go, okay, what the hell's going on? Am I hypercapnic? Am I hyperoxic? Am I hypoxic? Am I whatever? And you'll get in there. And, and so the divers can get that information in real time and then take the necessary steps to in inhibit. In real time. Wow. In real time. Yep. That, that's insane. And interestingly enough, we also redesigned the current spacesuit because it's all the same, right? Remember, astronautical engineering right. degree, right? right. Yeah, so yeah. we redesigned the current spacesuit into a simple board that is about this big. It's about, uh, I don't know, maybe a couple of centimeters across. And, uh, and we were able to put everything on that one board, including O2 controller, uh, including the heart rate variability monitor, all the processing equipment. It was time for an upgrade anyway. And then we wrote a chapter in a book, uh, myself and another cat. It's just like, look, man, we're just see, see need, fill a need, right? We're fixing problems, right? Oh, people have, a, you know, Elon Musk was going to go to space and he's like, oh, we're going, we're going to Mars. I'm like, okay, you know how far away Mars is? <laughs> <laughs> It's not, it's, we're not going to Oklahoma. Right? But it's like, we need a, we're going to need a bigger boat, as they say in John, right? We're going to need a bigger boat. You know, we're going to need a better way of getting there, a better spacesuit to get us there, and something that is electronically controlled, that self monitors, that da 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 da. So I went ahead and helped design that thing for him. And uh, yeah. Wow, really? That's just insane. So now uh, I theoretically can get to Mars with, with a special spacesuit. Yeah, we can get there and and maybe back uh, in in twelve months after that. But it's still it's it's like a three year trip, it's like a three <laughs> two and a half year trip, you know, to get this planet planets to line up. But it is what it is. It's, yeah, it's a crazy one way trip, and uh, everybody's gonna die out there anyway, you know. But <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty well. You can't say he hasn't got big visions. That's for sure. <laughs> right, I don't right, know. Right. I don't know why, he's but vision and the rest of the world is wearing bifocals. But you know. Yeah. He's, uh, uh, God bless him, but you know, yeah. myopia is a great to have when you're, when you're limited to an 80 or 90 year lifespan. 
myopia is a pretty good pretty good characteristic right now yeah <laughs> yeah yep being obsessive is a, is a good thing to to be if you want to I mean, and yeah, you know right? just just on all that toxicity stuff because i you know um having mum being put in a initially in a in a hyperbaric chamber with her rehabilitation we had to watch not with the mild ones they're all right because they're only on an oxygen concentrator but you know every 20 minutes in the other chamber where uh we had to take her off oxygen eh? because that's what could have happened she could have seized if we didn't take her off and we would have oxygen toxicity is that, that is that right that would probably be right uh central nervous system oxygen toxicity associated with that so yeah you know yeah well that's what they did and 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 so um you got to work with dom dom's coming on the show next week which i'm super excited about <laughs> well Mind you, Dom is a whole lot cooler than I am. So I really hope that you get a good uh, a good interview with Dom. He's uh yeah, he's he's got his stuff in one side. He's a smart PhD. I'm just a I'm I'm a a very passionate PhD. He's very smart. <laughs> I you think know? you've been a bit uh, humble there, Joe. I think you're a pretty amazing, amazing dude. Both of you amazing, amazing, amazing people. And the work that Dom's been doing in the cancer, I'm really you know super excited given my situation with my mum at the moment to to find out more about these ketones and hyperbaric and uh and the whole sh- you know shamozzle there um because that's really exciting research did we did you were you part of the experiments that he did within the hyperbaric chambers where he had those i don't know special cameras or something uh, and, and special microscopes that could tell what was going on in the brains of the the, the rats or the mice I was at the lab at that time, but I was not part of that experiment. That is cool. That is amazing. That cool stuff, right? It's yeah. like that guy, he's freaking cool. And, you know, I mean, yeah. So that's uh, it's really good stuff. And it's it's like it's cutting edge research. But he, he came up and he was like, hey, how did you get to man testing? And I was like, I don't know. I just did it. And he's like, uh, we started on rats. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you went yeah. straight to man testing. I went straight to man testing because I didn't know any better. I'm just, like I said, not that smart. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I plot along at a good pace and I will slow and steady wins the race, right? So Crazy, crazy. So, Joe, tell us a little bit, like, what is it like to be diving at these extreme, like, in, in doing, like, you're an extreme athlete. You have to be an extreme athlete as well. You know, like, what, what's it actually like to be in these scary-ass environments that you, you, you're working in? So you realize that you're at 810 pounds per square inch, right? So if if there was a leak in your suit at 810 pounds per square inch, it would literally cut you in half and fuse you. Oh, you, you wouldn't even bleed, right? So we went through all these thought processes and I'm like, hmm, I wonder if you could survive. I wonder if, I wonder if, I wonder if. And then it's like, it doesn't really matter. It's not something that you want to survive anyway. So it's one of these, like, if it started to implode, I would rather it just implode and take me all with it and not even mess around, you know? So, um, yeah. So, so what's it like, uh, resolute, uh, that you will die if something goes sideways, which makes you really, really, really anal compulsive on the top side. Yeah. And you get to double check everything, triple check everything, make sure this works, make sure that works. So I was in charge of that detachment. I was in charge of those guys. And like, I remember this distinctly. My, uh, the guy who I relieved said, look, I want you to look in this mirror. And I looked in the mirror and he says, every morning I look in that mirror and I think, is today the day that I'm going to kill somebody? And I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, responsibility on you. 
got broad shoulders. You want to do it. Let's do it. God damn, you know, and then you realize everything that happens on this ship is my responsibility. Even yeah. if your doctor decides to jump off the third floor of the bridge wing and uh, into the water, when you just said swim call and he was, everybody was just going to jump off the side of the ship, climbs up to the third level and jumps off. Nothing happened, thank God, but you never know. Somebody could get hurt. <laughs> and it's all your, your responsibility. So how, do you, how did you, you know, like come to terms with I, I often think of even, you know, I was watching brain surgery last night for, I don't know why, but my mum just had brain surgery. So I sort of was like morbidly curious as to what they do in there, right? You are, <laughs> and, yeah. I'm okay. weird. I know. I'm weird. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, how the hell do you, you know, cut into someone's brain? Like when you're standing there with the saw ready to go, you know, right. like, and I talked to the neurosurgeon who was doing it. He said, oh, I said, how do you do that three times, three or four times a day, by the way? And yeah. he was like, I love it. <laughs> I just love doing it. And I'm like, how, how that responsibility? I mean, I, I I can't handle the responsibility that I got. I just want to be a kid again, you know. Let alone doing something like that. How do you? How did you sort of come to terms with that? You know that. So two two things. You you develop the most robust training plan that you can possibly do, and you surround yourself with really 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 smart people to help you execute that training program. I told my master chief, my training master chief, I said. We dove our last unfaulted dive yesterday. I said, every single dive will have a training. Every single one. And we and he was like, are you kidding me? And I'm like, every one. We will train like we fight. We fight like we train. So this way, by the time it's all said and done, we are firehouse ready, ready to get out the back door. And we have done everything that we ever wanted to do. We did it in the training pool before we ever tried to execute it anywhere else. Right. Wow. So. It, it made us think up things and think up ways to do things. And, you know, look, man, it's, uh, it's uh, ship salvage is, uh, you know, a, a bunch of loosely coupled together people that are working on vague assumptions uh, with, with people of questionable mentality, right? <laughs> so <laughs> here, here we are, we like doing this stuff and you're trying to salvage this ship or do something or recover this thing off the bottom of the ocean. And, and, you know, you got, you've got currents, you've got animals, you've got, wow. you know, flaws in your machinery. There's enough problems that can kill you and the ocean will happily and gleefully kill you without blinking an eye. Yeah. It, won't, it won't even recognize that you're there. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you, you actually have to give it a good dose of respect. And, you know, like I said, training, 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 but yeah, we did, uh, we did great things. So well, one of the things I read on, uh, did you do dives on the Titanic? The Britannic. The Britannic. Oh, sorry, I read the wrong. The sister ship of the Titanic, which oh. sunk in 400, I want to say 410 feet of water off the coast of Greece. So we did a scientific expedition to find out why she sank, because you remember the Titanic sank because the bulkheads didn't go all the way up to the ceiling yeah. and the water toppled over. Well, they fixed that on the Britannic. So they said, well, why the hell did this thing sink? turns out that they had the engine room to fire room doors all open. So oh. the hole underneath had the doors all open in the engine room while steaming in wartime in a minefield. Oh, very intelligent. Obviously, you went at the, the head of that ship. <laughs> well, uh, I was not the head of that ship. That guy should have been fired. But, uh, <laughs> He's long dead, no doubt. 
Just interrupting the program briefly to let you know that we have a new patron program for the podcast. Now, if you enjoy pushing the limits, if you get great value out of it, we would love you to come and join our patron membership program. We've been doing this now for five and a half years and we need your help to keep it on air. It's been a public service free for everybody and we want to keep it that way. But to do that, we need like-minded souls who are on this mission with us to help us out. So if you're interested in becoming a patron for Pushing the Limits podcast, then check out everything on patron.lisatamati.com. That's P-A-T-R-O-N dot We have two patron levels to choose from. You can do it for as little as $7 a month New Zealand or $15 a month if you really want to support us. So we, we are grateful if you do. There are so many membership benefits you're going to get if you join us. Everything from workbooks for all the podcasts, the strength guide for runners, uh, the power to vote on future episodes, uh, webinars that we're going to be holding, all of my documentaries, and much, much more. So check out all the details, patron.lisatamati.com, and thanks very much for joining us. <laughs> um, and you've also done like that Black Sea, cor- uh, Black, Black Coral uh, dive. So, uh, give me a bit of background on that one. It was- black coral dives were great. Uh, ran into a bunch of people that we harvested black coral for the for the coral industry, and we harvested it the right way through permits and so forth and so on. But that's the most dangerous diving I've ever done in my life. Like I, I tell you, when you swing a hammer underwater, it is the most energetic thing you'll ever do. Wow. And I can tell you this for sure, that sharks are very attracted to this. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, you're banging on the water? What's that? Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? Oh. You going to eat that? What's that? That looks good. You know, <laughs> so sharks will come up and find what's going on. And then, uh, you know, wow. so, and when you're swinging that hammer in the water, I've never worked so hard. I've done everything underwater. I've never worked so hard as swinging it, swinging a hammer and an uh, axe on the water. At that hard. level, at that depth. Four, three, four hundred feet trying to pull up a, a tree of black coral. And, you know, you know, the guys that have done this have died doing the exact same tree that you're on. You know, you can see because it's partially hacked. You wow. can just see it. You know, you know that a cat died on this. You know, it's like, OK. So, so. it's serious, super serious. What, what, what do they do with it? Like, what was the, the, the... the black coral is made into uh, it's, it's a very shiny black uh, it's a very shiny black tree looking structure. I had one here at one point. So is that used in, in jewelry or something? Like yeah, it's used in jewelry. Diamonds. So it's really shiny. You can polish it and uh and it looks like a black opal. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I've uh um spent years polishing opals. It's one of my things. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. Love it. I didn't do black coral, though. Um, but so, okay. So you're at these extreme, extreme. So when you're at, because when you like when I when I do my snorkeling, which is nothing, right? And I only go down a few feet. I'm all really feeling that pressure, and I'm like keen to get back up. I can't imagine what it feels like when your your uh, lungs and everything sort of collapse when you do diving, don't they? Don't they go to really, really small and, and your whole right. body? Is, how does that but work? But remember, your body has these compensatory mechanisms. You are mostly water, right? Mm-hmm. You're mostly water. So that's incompressible. Fluid's incompressible. Your air spaces have compliant volumes in them. So if I take a breath from a regulator and the regulator has more pressure than the surrounding air, it will fill my lungs and, and my lungs will be filled. So 
to, to tell you, you can, if you can clear to 33 feet, you can clear to a thousand without oh, wow. blinking an eye. The oh. shallow, you know, the deepest, uh, the deepest, uh, recorded depth of the dive is 2,265 feet, I think. Oh. And that's a long way down, right? But if you can clear to 33 feet, you can clear to 2,000 feet. It's no problem. So that initial part is, is you know, where you feel that pressure. It doesn't feel more. The greatest pressure change. You don't even feel it, right? Because look, how much pressure do you feel on you right now? Nothing. You know, because you just did the math with your mom, right? It's <laughs> 14.7 PSI, but that's the pressure that we're at right now. So it's equal. Why? Because you have equalized with it. So I don't feel any pressure on me, right? When I go down, I don't feel any pressure differential on me. I don't feel any different at all. And like there's little things in my ears that go, you've flown in an airplane. Yep. To clear your ear. Yep. You know. Same same sort of deal. And anytime you hop in the hyperbaric, if you've got a cold, you, you're not going to get far. because you're, no, you're not going to get far at all. Yeah, because you're, you're going to have start to have real, real pain. But just the psychology of doing things under – underwater where you, you you can't just you know like I, I do you know done extreme running and I've done stuff in altitude and things like that um you can't get out of the off situation <laughs> and you can't when you're at altitude either by the way but it's not quite as it's different like you know you, you're still going to get your next breath somehow you might not have enough oxygen when you're at altitude but True. when you're under the sea at incredible depths, there's no like losing your shit. You can't lose your shit under there and come back up. You know, you have you been it for you know those long decompression dives where you where you have to be down at down there for weeks. Yeah, so uh, 30, 30 some odd days, and we're looking. By the way, we're looking to break the world record. Uh, to do 100 days underwater right now. Oh. World record right now is 73. So generally speaking, the longest dives that we did in the Navy were in the 30-day time frame. But that's not, it's not truly underwater. It's in a, re- it's in a chamber, right? So you do it in the chamber and then the bell brings you to go to work and then you come back up and then you go back in the chamber and you go to sleep. So it's not wow. like you're living. But in this case, we will be living 100 days in a aquatic environment and the chamber will be in the water. Oh, so wow. we're looking to break that. That'll be kind of cool. Wow. And when you, when, when's this project kicking off? Well, if not for COVID, we would have done it this year. <laughs> so everything slowed down a little bit. And what is, the, what is the point of doing these types of things? Does it push the industry further to be able to do more and deeper and harder? And... Right. Well, first of all, we're looking to travel to Mars, right? And it's a couple of month trip to Mars. So we need to be able to stay in a isolated, controlled, extreme environment, an ice environment uh, for a period of time. And we're going to find issues and problems that come with that. Like if you're in a spacecraft and that spacecraft only has like 15 feet of visibility, what's your eyesight right now? Yeah. Well, 2020, right? Yeah. It's 2020 because you can see an object at 20 feet because you have that visual depth perception. You can see it at 20 feet. If you're not looking 20 feet, you become progressively and progressively and progressively more myopic. So when you're in these short tunnel vision, vision things, like in a spacecraft for six months, like in a, right, this is us solving problems, right? You got to figure out how you can survive, how you can extend your vision so that when you hit the ground in on Mars six months see. later, you can see, you can yeah. see this nose on the end of your face, right? Because you've yeah. been looking at your buddy who's six feet apart from you for the past six months yeah 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 
Yeah, yeah. And learn how to get along and live in that type of environment. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, look, I firmly believe that everything that we need on this planet exists on this planet to survive. The cure for cancer, I believe it's here. The cure for Alzheimer's, I believe it's here. Let me tell you why. Because I worked with a a filmmaker named James Cameron when he went to the bottom of the Marianas Trench. He found a, uh, a new species of lice, sea lice, which are normally this big. But this one was like this big, right? Um, I, I hope your viewers can see me. <laughs> yeah. I'm holding my hand about a foot. About a foot. Away from <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry. About a, a third of a meter. So, um, it, you know, so you get this really big sea lice. And when they brought it up and collected it, we found that, or they found that it had a synthesized cure for Alzheimer's that we had made up on the surface. Wow. So it's like, and it existed in the wild at 35,000 feet. So if you yeah. look where you always look, you will only find what you've always found. So you can go down underwater, stay down underwater for a long period of time and really start to look around, right? I mean, really look around. When yeah. you're down there for a couple of days, eh, you're really not going to see much. But when you start staying there, like when you've lived in your house for a long period of time, you go, I never knew there was a grocery store in a corner of 4th and Main. Damn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bigly Wiggly down the road, I should have gone to the one on Fourth and Main. It's better, right? So you learn, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. so I think that you can find this stuff. There's all kinds of stuff, including antifreeze type stuff in fishes because fish don't freeze, obviously, right? Yeah. Barnacles stick really well. Hmm. Maybe we can use it as some kind of a, a novel agent for uh, sticking uh, uh, our cavity uh, protection in our mouth or something. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? We need yeah. this cancer. The answer's that- here. We just have to look further. So there's all kinds of good crap. So, you know, but everything is here. And guess what? 70% of the earth is covered in water. Yeah, yeah. So- we haven't even looked. Right. You haven't even looked. Yeah. What? So. Yeah. I mean, like the story of rapamycin. I don't know if you know what rapamycin is, but it's a. It's a, it's a drug that's having really powerful anti-aging and uh, fantastic thing. They found it on a, the Easter Islands one day when they were finding, what was it, a, a mushroom or some, some fungi or something that some scientists totally take back to the, and then they realized how powerful this thing is. Now it's saving lives around the world, you know. And it's this sort of crazy sort of uh, pioneering spirit, I think, that, and, and you know, one of the things like I'm always talking about is, uh, we live in this very comfortable environment, right, where we, we have everything at our fingertips. We have an endless supply of food and light and warmth and everything that we have. Uh, and that makes us very complacent because our, our old ancient DNA wants to wants to be out exploring, adventuring, having pushing the limits, you know? Exactly, exactly. No, 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 no. I totally get it. So like like you you're talking about that right now and I'm thinking to myself, you know, this is exactly what I did when I decided to retire. I put together a vision board and this hangs on my wall. And you can see right down here, right? Right down here, yeah. it says, I want to perform studies to make aquanauts, astronauts, and undersea structures and submersibles safer, right? Wow. So it's like, what do you want to do when you grow up? Yeah. Start with the end in mind, right? Yes. Like Demings, start with the end in mind and then work backwards from there. Yep. So, yeah, that's exactly it. You've got to look where you've always looked. Uh, you got to look in a different spot than you've always looked. Otherwise, you'll find the same stuff. So. And you never give up. Like, it's an attitude of, I don't know how, like, you know, I like your thing, like, um, I don't know how the hell I'm going to do this, but I'm just going to keep moving forward. And I, and I didn't know that I couldn't, so I just did, you know. And it's that type of stuff that really, really is, is super powerful, you know. How does, that, 
How does that saying go? The journey of a thousand miles starts Stop. with the first step. Yep. Right. Exactly. So it's like, look, I, if I don't know any better, I don't know that I can't find the answer. So let's just assume that I can find the answer and start running. And yep. then if I'm going in the wrong direction, somebody will go, hey, idiot. Make this a way. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Or better yet, divine intervention will do it or, or, or predetermined whatever. Yeah. Or, whatever you believe look, in. Yeah, we're on this we're on this roller coaster ride, right? We're just trying to figure it the hell out. So, so look, man, I don't know what I'm here for, but I, you know, I'm trying to have fun and I'm trying to figure stuff out that, like, it, it, it turns me on, right? So, like, for 28 years, I did stuff that turned my uncle Sam on, yeah, right. And now I'm done with that. Yeah. So it's like now I want to do stuff that turns me on, and this kind of stuff turns me on. It's like, yeah. woo. <laughs> It's exciting, man. And, and you get to a certain age where you're like, yeah, uh, you, you start to think about what the hell you've done. You know, when I look yep. back at my uh, the, my life and I think, well, I wasted 30, 30 years doing stupid shit. Why wasn't I using my brain for, for something a little bit more productive perhaps? But on the other hand, when I look back, I think I learned so much how to handle myself, how to push through barriers. And when it came like to a situation like with mum, I had a mental skill set that I wouldn't have had if I hadn't, you know, in an attitude of, you know, like two days ago. survival mentality. Yeah. Like you, like I can mentality. I don't know how, but I'm going to keep moving until I work it out. Like two days ago. Cultivated that out of necessity. You were made to do that. This is your lot in life. You, all this was all predetermined. You were going to, because you needed to be there to be here, to be here, to be here, to be here. And now you're here and you had to do all this crap. <laughs> and waste stuff. a shit ton of life, right. life but had to waste a ton of time doing stupid stuff before you realize where the important stuff was. Yeah, and I think a lot of us have that, you know, like uh, you know, two days ago we go to uh, hematology oncology at the hospital with my mum, and I've been researching, you know, up to here and cancer research because I believe there's an answer out there and I can find a way around. We go in there and they tell us basically she's stuffed. There's no much we can offer you and get your affairs in order. I'm sitting there with my mum thinking, no fucking way, <laughs> like honestly. <laughs> and, I, and I asked him, I, I actually quizzed him on a couple of questions on things like ketones and metabolic approach to cancer and things like that. He just rolled his eyes at me and just went, no, that, that ain't going to help. And I just thought, thanks very much. We'll see you later. I walked out with my mum. I took her into a side room immediately because I was worried about her mental state, just being told that she's dying. And um, I just said, Mark, I want you to completely ignore what he just said to you. I've got the plan. I know which direction we're going. I don't know how rough it's going to get, Ma, but I've, I've got your back. And I've and we, we have a plan and we have a team behind us of people. Right. So I want you to ignore everything. And my mum, who's freaking legend, just goes, ah, I didn't listen to any of that because I know you. You'll find a way around this. And I'm <laughs> like. Oh shit, man. You know, like I'm faking it till I make it too in, in right. front of her because I have to, because I have to be the leader, if you like, the one that says, right, mom, this is the direction we're going. Follow me. And even if I don't have all the answers yet, I'm, I'm moving forward and I'm keeping her, her brain and her mind and her mindset in the right place to come with me. Because if you go and get told that you're going to die in the next two or three months, and you believe it and you believe it, you're going to. You're and there's done. no yeah. way I'm hell that I'm letting that thought into her head, you know? Right. No. So, so yeah, I, I, I found that to be a very true statement. And I found that if you can, uh, you know, if you can kind of, let, let me just tell you this. So I'm a researcher, right? 
And there is a 14-year farm-to-table gap from medical knowledge to present state-of-the-art science research. 14 years. So if you graduate med school today, you know how to treat oncology, how to treat cancer. This is what we do. We give this much chemotherapy. We do this, blah, 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 right? You learn that in school and that's it. You're done. You 14 years later, you can get up with the current most research 14 years from now. You'll get yeah. here. I think 14 is actually conservative. I think it's 20, about 20 years yeah. behind. You know, I think it's it's shortening. It's kind of sort of on a Moore's law sort of a thing. I hope uh, so. They're like up to date that are bringing it, uh, you know, that are keeping physicians up to the current state of the art. But remember, it's not about the state of the art. And and you listeners take this away. It's about the art of the possible, because the state of the art is is yesterday and right now. The art of the possible is way the hell out there. So. Let's run towards the art of the possible. Do you think we can make it? I have no idea. Well, throwing rocks against the wall, right? We're, yeah, we're playing exactly. dice. You know? Yeah, yeah. You know? But when somebody goes, you don't have any chance or choice left. Well, I do. And I have dice that I can roll, right? Yeah. So, and I love it because when physicians tell me, oh, you just don't understand. Now I <laughs> teach physiology in, 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 in uh, school, right? Yeah. So it's, I, do me a favor. Let's have a discussion about how the red blood cells work and how the white blood cells work and phagocytes and leukocytes. Go ahead. You go ahead and start and I will fill you in. <laughs> and they're like, oh, well, uh, you just don't understand. And I'm like, I, I, I realize Actually, that. I, I do. Yeah. But I want to look. I want to learn. So let's let's talk. Yeah. And, and then, you've got the brain. I mean, you're lucky. Well, not lucky. You've, you've worked hard to have the brain to be able to answer them. And, uh, I, I, you know, my, I'm not so sophisticated yet in, in the way that I bring things across where my knowledge isn't deep enough and I get things backwards and around, around sideways sometimes in my explanations. But you can be a quick study and you can learn. If you have a problem, if you say a medical problem or whatever, and you go and spend a, a month studying that particular problem all over the internet, all over finding people and interviewing them. Yeah. I tell you what, you're going to be. the right sources, stuff like that. You know, you can't just believe every article you read on no. the internet. You know. No. But so, in a month, you can be an expert on well, your particular thing. Yeah, uh, I could I, I could offer a different opinion. That's my thing. It's it's called diversity of thought. I mean, that's my, that's my true gift. Thank God I have diversity of thought, right? So it's like, I'm not smart enough to know this way of doing it. I've only ever learned this way, which came right around to the same way that you got, but that's the way I learned it. So that's my thought process and it works that way. I'm an engineer. So, you know. Yeah. So what, um, what's your take on, I mean, this is completely a left field com- question coming at you, but I'm, I'm sort of interested. <laughs> I'll show you one here. Yeah. Um, the current COVID situation. What's your take on what the hell is actually going on in our world, which is pretty pretty mucked up? Are you willing to, to make any comment on that freaking mess? Yeah, look, I, look, I'm a grown man. I have an opinion just like everybody else, but the, the, the opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect those of any organization <laughs> with which I may be affiliated. Or um, medical advice. <laughs> I think that it's a, uh, it's a virus, and we've had these viruses out there, and viruses are going to be viruses, and they're going to they're going to kill people. It's like, oh, yeah, yep, yep. You have a point, you know, a 98.7% chance of surviving any bout that you have with COVID, and you have like a 99% chance of surviving any flu that you get. It's like, yeah. 
Slightly you're going to get sick. You're going to have a problem. You have this, you have that, you have this, you have that. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be an issue. So, you know, you got to freaking figure it out, you know? So I don't know. To me, it's one of these, like, uh, it's, it's one of these pain in the ass things. Uh, everybody is trying to make what, what I would call much ado, not about nothing, but they're trying to make much ado because remember, nobody listens to me. I'm a science geek. Nobody listens to me. I'm a science geek. Now everybody wants to hear from me like I'm E.F. Hutton. And yeah. all of a sudden, I'm the guy that knows everything. Oh, stand back. I'm going to tell you how this happens and that happens. And this happens. And, oh, you got to listen to me. And the last time you didn't listen to me, people died. And and then you can. And, and you know, it's 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 not very helpful. Look, what, what we need is a common sense approach to doing this stuff as opposed to a blanket uh, a blanket doctoral approach to doing it. And, and, you know, coming from the medical background a little bit, not a lot, but coming from that background, uh, biomedical engineering, certainly I, I firmly believe that it needs to be rooted not in politics, not in medicine, but in a combination of politics and medicine and, and, you know, business and acumen and all these decisions take part. Because even if you save everybody and the economy's dead, you, you've just killed died. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Patient died. Right? Yeah. So it's like, well, the patient dies. So you fuck that up. It's like, yeah. all right, uh, can, can less, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not looking to be, uh, you know, yeah. if somebody has a loved one that passed away with COVID, I, I have had friends that have passed away that had COVID that also had, you know, many other comorbidities and that, you know, had that not killed them, the, you know, the diabetes would kill them or yeah. the whatever would kill them. Yeah. Right. So, so yeah, I, the present state of where we're at right now is, uh, is definitely interesting to say the least. And I will, uh, I will leave it at that. How's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just thank you because I like to talk to people who have critical thinking abilities about because it is a very freaking confusing time. And for the average person, I was going to say the average Joe, that doesn't really sound appropriate, does it? Um, <laughs> um, the average person, it is like, what the hell do I believe? Half of the scientists are coming out on this side. Half of the scientists are coming out on that side. My politicians, I can't trust them as far as I can throw them. Uh Big Pharma, definitely can't trust them. Where the hell do we go? You know, like where do we go for the right information and to try to make the right decisions for you and your loved ones? Um, yeah. And then the divisiveness of this whole thing is just scaring. This is just a bloody, you know. I, I, right, and then people the blame people. It's it's shaming and blaming, but mm-hmm. it's it's fear tactic. That's a fear tactic. Shaming and blaming is fear tactic, right? So, like, if you get a shot, and I don't get a shot, not that I'm pro shot or against shot. I'm not even mentioning yeah. that. But if you get one, and I don't. Who's at the risk here? Yeah. Not you, because you already You've got the shot. You've been vaccinated. What's you your problem? Shot. So, so why are you blaming me? How can you blame me? Because, oh, well, well I'm going to transfer COVID. Do you realize that even with the shot, you can transfer COVID? <laughs> it's Wait, really um, interesting logic, so, isn't it? So it's not a, it, 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 it is not a vaccine. It no. is a shot. Yeah. It is a flu shot of sorts. It's a viral shot with a little bit of bacterial component to it, but it's a viral shot, right? That That is really trying to help your body to fight and thwart this thing. Now, the novel method that we have for delivering it, mm. honestly, it, it has been around since the 80s. Um, these, these mRNA vaccines have been around since the 80s. And, um, you know, we don't have a cure for AIDS because it wasn't that we could have had a cure for AIDS, but you notice how you haven't heard a lot about AIDS lately? No, yes, very interesting. 
Yeah. So we could have had that cure for AIDS a long time ago, but it just wasn't enough people that were infected by it. But now what we said was everybody's going to get infected by this. So we have herd immunity and all these. Yeah. So, yeah, long story short, everybody's trying to point that China or you know, Australia or a penguin or a bat or, you know, whatever. doesn't matter. Why does it matter? Why does it matter? That's like going, Hey, look, the barn doors open. The horses are all gone, but yeah, let's true. figure out, let's figure out why the horses got out. Who let the horses out? Yeah. Which doesn't really matter anymore. Let's get on with the actual problem. Yeah. Horses are out. Let's freaking go get the horses for Christ's sake. And then when yeah. they come back, tie them up and then we'll figure the hell out. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, exactly. I like your thinking. Joe, is, uh, what are you currently like, you know, you know spin away from COVID because geez, that could be a, a big deep hole. Um, what are you doing currently? So you work for the deep sea, uh, what's the name of the, the place that you're at? Deepsea.com or something? Yeah. Undersea oxygen clinic. So undersea. I'm working at the undersea oxygen clinic right now, which I own part of, and uh, and we're doing uh, we're doing a little bit of clinical research, but mostly treatments on a daily basis. So we're treating people with hyperbaric oxygen therapy from traumatic brain injury to PTSD to all kinds of other stuff. Uh, you know, uh, can you comment you know, on that then? Because this is like one of my pet things. Like hyperbaric, obviously, I I credit that with saving her brain and bringing mum back. Um, uh, why the hell isn't this available everywhere? Why isn't it not used generally for TBI and for concussions uh, and for for strokes and, and, and even for cancers and all that sort of stuff? So what is your take on, on how powerful this, this therapy is? So 14-year farm-to-table gap is one thing that I blame it on. We already discussed that. The other thing that I blame it on is the fact that people um, – um, People have, doctors have something called standard of care, mm -hmm. right? So right now we have an established standard of care for a stroke. Now I got to tell you, once you can do things to reset and to reabsorb or to get rid of the clot, after that, I would opine, non-medical opinion here, I would opine that you should take me to the chamber yes. before anything else. Right after I get that absorption stuff for the clot, short of that, bring me right to the chamber. Um, you know, but because it's better and I can get people, but the neurologists right now are going, no, 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 I can't build that. So I want to build a 99183 and a G0277 and a TT77014XX because that's the highest billing rate that I have. First, I got to do an EEG, then a nerve conduction test. Then I got to figure this out. It's like, well, it, Medicare runs the country, which means it runs the answers. Now, is that right? I personally don't think so. But so where do we go? I think we look to an HMO or something like that because they have a good interest in heart, right? They have, here's $100,000 that we have to do your care for the year. Ready, go. What do you want to spend it on best? Well, the best thing that you can do, best thing that you can do, and you are a professional athlete, so you get this. Best thing that you can do for your body is work out. Why? Oh, because it decreases something called interleukin-6, yep. an inflammatory Inflammatory. Market. It decreases something called interleukin-15, which is a powerful antiviral. <laughs> why would you no shut down that for COVID either, by the way? Why would you shut down a gym mid-COVID when, when people can get powerful antivirals for free for going to the gym? Oh, Because no one sanitary. can make money out of that, Joe. No one can make money out of it. Exactly. No. So you see what I'm saying? You see the issue. So that's why I think the state of affairs is what it is. But like we're treating post-COVID patients here. 
Yep, with long they are tail COVID. Paying self-pay here and they're doing great. Uh, the study that I have going has nine out of nine people so far have increased uh, breath function. Um, and the only thing that I have, so what do you have post-COVID? Lethargy, nausea, brain fog, headache, and reduced vital capacity. Of those, the only thing that I can measure objectively, because I'm a scientist, is pulmonary function tests or reduced vital capacity. So I can show that you went from a a forced excretory volume of 65 to a forced excretory volume of 93. That's objective quality evidence. That says that you're getting better, right? The rest of it is, I feel better. I can't write up, I feel better in a freaking paper. You know, unfortunately, I can't say I feel better, but on a scale of one to 10, how do you feel? All right, I can put that in there, but everybody feels better on certain days. So really, you can't fight this. You really can't. So you got to write it up to contemporary professional scientific standard. And that's the one thing that we've been able to do with every single one of them have gone to mid 60s to mid 90s. And they are very, very pleased with their outcome. So short of that. Uh, is Medicare going to pay with an N of nine? No. Traumatic brain injury and PTSD. You know, here we are pushing this. We have, we are letting guys, we are able, guys are able to survive more now from combat wounds than they ever were before. Why we have better, right? Guys are living through this stuff. Guys and gals are living through this stuff. And all of a sudden you get this kid back that has scrambled eggs and you're like, what can I do? Well, first of all, what do you got to do? You're talking about breaking synaptic pathways, right? Mm-hmm. So the synaptic pathways in your head, you're talking about separating them. Do you know how much it takes to separate a synaptic pathway? 1.3 times gravitational acceleration. It's not much. 1.3 Gs. Geez, I was here in a car and I jammed on the brakes. Rip. Oh, well, that was 1.5 Gs, right? Yeah. You know, I don't know how many roller coaster rides I've been on that are two or three Gs. I don't Shit. know how many, you know. Rockets are six G's, jet planes are a couple of G's, wow. you know? So, so you could get us, you could break a synaptic pathway anytime, any way, any place. So what you got to do is something called neurogenesis, which regrows those, right? It regrows the pathways, if yep. you will. Yep. And that is stemmed by hyperbarics, peer-reviewed published literature that says it is helped. Hyperbarics is helps stem neurogenesis, it also stems angiogenesis increases cerebral blood flow, all that stuff works. Well, what we did was we did EEGs uh, on people prior to, and what we found is that if the theta-beta ratio is close, theta-beta brain ratio, brain brain wave ratio is close, then they could do with less hyperbarics, like in the 1.5 PO2. If the theta-beta ratio is further away, we needed to push them up to 2.0. I mean, and this is completely... We're just very small ends. We're just in the study phase right now, right? So it's like, but this is the initial stuff that we're learning. How was the traumatic brain injury? How did it occur? How much is it? How bad is it? How close is the theta-beta ratio? Once you figure that out, you can treat accordingly. It's like, everybody's like, I want to treat it. You know, I I know how to treat that. I'm going to use a wrench. I'm going to use a wrench. I'm going to use a size wrench. Well, I'm going to use a three-quarter inch, whatever, whatever, whatever. Right. Okay. I want to use a box and three quarter inch, you know, blah, blah, blah. All right. That might work, but that's what I used on the last guy and it worked. Now, this is, right. we, we have to do it to each individual traumatic brain injury and how it got there and how people get there. And oh, it's hard. So it's that's hard. a lot of studies to be able to do, eh? But this is, yeah. This and is remember, crucial. in order to do a real study, you need four or 500 people. Yeah. My ends are like billions of dollars. 
like in order to be scientifically valid, right? So here I am just doing these studies and they're called uh, ex post facto, right? So they're after the fact studies. And it's just, all I'm doing is retroactively reporting things that happen, which could have been anecdotal and people might've gotten better on their own. I don't know. You know, look, I'm, I'm, I'm trying, but I'm trying my best to help people as best as I can. And, you know, and so this, the answer, go yeah. ahead. You, you I mean, and, and hyperbaric is being used all around the world. And when you get a case like my mom's, you know, when you see this and this hits you personally and you see the improvements and you see her come yeah. back from being not much over a vegetative state to being able to drive a car and walk for four Ks a day and go to the gym five days a week and play with the grandchildren, you know, that, that, that's personal. And this is where, Everyone, you know, rubbishes the anecdotal evidence, and I understand that we need the scientific evidence. But this is why I wrote the book because we're not—we ain't got all the scientific evidence now. But my odds-on, if I've got a brain injury, I know where I'm heading. You know, I knocked myself out the other day doing tumo breathing. You know, the Wim Hof breathing, knocked myself out. Did Wim Hof? Yeah. Okay, I had myself in the shower. Dumb, dumb, dumb. Don't do that, people because uh, uh, I was trying to save time because I was in a hurry, ended up knocking myself out. Where did I go? Straight to the hyperbaric. And then I had my first aid protocol for for TBI, which I have a whole you know plethora of supplements and things to give my brain the right fuel. And then I you know go keto and, and, and things like that. No sugar for the next couple of weeks. And it, you know, that's where I'm, I know I know to do that. I know to go there. But um, most people don't. They go told to go home and rest. I had a a case because I, you know, do a lot of uh, coaching and health coaching with people. A three-year-old little girl, um, massive brain injury after uh, falling off a trampoline, cracked skull. They sent her home two hours later, and I'm like, oh my god, you know. And next day, her blood sugar level was down at two point three. She's nearly in a coma. She's vomiting. Parents ring me. I say, get to the hospital immediately. They get up there, and I'm saying, you know. Um, Obviously, her, her electrolytes are not being produced properly in the head and, and, and um, what do you call it, um, diabetes insipidus, you know, right. thinking that's just like connecting the dots. I'm trying to convince the doctor to actually look into this, you know, and they're not interested. And I say, go and get some hyperbaric. They've got a hyperbaric clinic in their town. Uh, nah, not, not going to do it, you know, and it's just like, oh, geez. Oh, she seems to be coming right. And it's like she's a three-year-old with a massive brain injury and you're playing, in my opinion, like with fire. If you don't go and repair that damage now, then who knows what we'll be looking at in 10 years' time. If you increase cerebral blood flow, which we know hyperbarics to do, and you increase the amount of oxygen in that area, you're going to help the hypoxic brain tissue. There is no question. That's a thing. Now, whether or not you can repair it is still in question, but you can definitely repair all of the hypoxic cells around that Schemic one cell. Penumbra. Yep. You're paying off oxygen debt. So listen, science wins over bullshit every time, but, <laughs> but the bottom line is that, you know, look, I'm a researcher, right? And I want to find out what this plant's problem is, right? I have a plant. Here's the problem. It, I go, maybe, maybe it needs more water or maybe it needs more sunlight, but I'm a researcher. So I want to find out which it needs. So I just fill it with water and then I keep it in the dark. What happens if you fill a plant with water and keep it in the dark? Well, it's going to freaking die. Or you just take it and put it in the direct sunlight 24-7, 365, it's going to die. So sometimes the research itself is the wrong attitude because yeah, yeah. it's trying to 
find out whether it's the sunlight or the water or the plant or the food or whatever, whatever, whatever. When the bottom line is, it's everything. So everybody's going, hyperbarics is the cure. And I'm going, no, it's not. It's it's one thing. It's It's one one thing in your kit, right? So after that, what do you do? You work out. After that, what do you do? You eat right. After that, what do you do? You get a good night's sleep, talk to Dr. Parsley. You know, after that, what do you do? Right? So it's my 12 things that I have in my bag of tricks that's going to make me more better. And and that's exactly the approach that I took with mom was a multifaceted approach. I said, you know, it wasn't one thing. Happy Barrett was key. Yeah. But it was it was this plus this plus this plus this, and then you have to. This is this is I think where being an athlete helps. Is, is that when you don't see a result in two minutes, people are like ah, it didn't work, and I'm like you have. To, this is biology. It's regrowing, you know, pathways. It's doing. Give it a thing. minute. Yeah, like give it give it, a give it a few months. Like just do the work. Well, when I go to the gym and I train, I don't expect to come out looking different than when I went in maybe a bit more naked, but that's it. I don't look different, right? But over the course of 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, my body is going to be biologically younger than the person who didn't go to the gym ever and has got now all sorts of problems. You know, it it works, but you don't see it in real time, you know? No, I feel you. I totally understand you. I totally get it. Now, and you're you're 100% right. You cannot expect anything to work right away. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I, I just, everybody, and here's the other problem, like people will do everything and then do hyperbarics. Right. So it's like, and then they go hyperbarics didn't work. Well, yeah. Cause you waited till the very end to try it. Right. If you, if you had done it, it might have helped earlier. Now, would it have done everything? I have no idea. But if you do this, plus this, plus this, plus this, plus this, you're never going to find out which thing actually helped the most, but you're going to, you're going to win the day. And in the end, it's all about winning the day. And this is why, like you started on degrees, right? I'll be honest with you. It doesn't make a fat baby's butt what degree you have, what title you put before your name, what title you put after your name. I'm here to tell you, it doesn't make a damn bit of difference. If you are a person that can think outside the box, I'd much rather have you in my corner. I have a, yeah, I have a, uh, <laughs> my my lady is probably smarter than most people and <laughs> be included. And uh, <laughs> she has zero degree and she's an immigrant and, uh, and she's just absolutely brilliant. But why? She has diversity of thought. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. she will run around the back door and go, wait, 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 wait. Here's the way it comes in. And I go, huh, F- yeah. did you get I don't. <laughs> you're thinking outside this. and and you have to eh? you have to especially when you're you're dealing with you know, now we're dealing with a cancer journey i'm not attacking cancer with just one thing you know radiation or chemo or or diet it is a multifaceted and moving target especially with cancer because it, it changes it's the way it changes itself cancer, right yeah because cancer has compensatory mechanisms too exactly Woo-hoo! yeah yeah a hell yeah. of a lot so you're blocking, and I'm still learning how to block this and change that and work out what's, and trying to get doctors to actually cooperate with you, which I have. I've got some brilliant doctors that are helping me work it, work this all out. And we are really like uh, just chucking mud at the wall right now. I'm probably chucking a bit too much mud at the wall, you know, like the amount of stuff she's doing and on. But we will refine that as we as we work through this process, you know. Well, there is some legislation that came out in the midst of AIDS um, that allowed for 
somebody who has a terminal diagnosis, i.e. cancer, uh, to, to be able to get to their own sort of a cure, if you will, as opposed wow. to having to do those conventions. It's, it's in the United States, right? Yeah. So, so that was a landmark court ruling. That's uh, awesome. if you, Dallas Buyers Club, uh, at the very end of Dallas Buyers Club, you can see that homage. Uh, it's, and it's really good stuff because why? If you are supposedly at end of life and have been given a terminal diagnosis and I'm going to die if I do things the way you want to do it. Then I better why do, do something. Why do you care whether or not I take cucumongophobia plus green tea plus this vanilla art extract and this stuff and I rub it on my genitals? Yeah. Why do you what care? Do you care? What, yeah. My my point exactly. Off your insurance in just a little bit. Don't worry. (laughs) This is, I mean, uh, Joe. I had a um, a situation, and we'll wrap up in a minute. But I had a situation with my dad last year, who unfortunately passed away in July last year. But he had a aortic aneurysm, which is, you know, the the main aorta in the stomach. For those who don't know, blew out basically, and he was bleeding to death. They managed to save him with this incredible surgeon team that saved him. After wow. a six-hour operation, et cetera, 28 units of blood, blah, blah, blah. My dad, 81 years old, extremely fit. He somehow pulled through all that. But then he <laughs> developed, he, yeah, a miracle just to pull through that. But then he developed sepsis, right? And I was very up on the the um, the 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 research around intravenous vitamin C and sepsis. So here's me, like, fighting in the hospital, in the ICU for intravenous vitamin C. He He's dying. They have nothing more to chuck at this thing. They've done all their antibiotics. Nothing's working. Nothing's touching the sides. They would not let me do intravenous vitamin C. I came with the clinical data. I came with the research. They said to me, I don't care about the clinical research. It's a legal matter. And and we're not legally protected, and therefore we're not going to allow it. I fought the ethics committee. Ethics, it's the unethical committee in my opinion. But anyway... I fought yes, there, the hospital boards, ICU, the whole staff. I had to get every staff member on board. I had to fight to keep them on life support for the, the period of time that I was trying to get this through. It took me 15 days to win that battle. And, of course, 15 days with sepsis. Dad was at death's doorstep, multiple organ failure, could die any minute, and then they let me do the intravenous vitamin C. And the very Sorry. first, the very first one, I only got 15 grams and my amazing GPs were able to come into the hospital. That was the only legal loophole we could find. And these incredible, uh, my GPs are just amazing. And they did this. They came in, they did it. The very first one uh, dropped his uh, C-reactive protein in half, like just dropped it massively, which is a huge indicator of how up shit creek you are. His white blood cell um, count improved massively. His kidney function improved and, and, and. They got him off noradrenaline, but then I was stopped doing the second one. It took me 18 hours when it's meant to be a six-hour protocol, right? Yeah, every six why? hours is what you need. And my, my doctors could only come up every 12 hours, so I was already, you know, behind the eight ball. But they they stopped me. They stopped me. They stopped me every every day for the next couple of days until we were too far gone. And my my dad died with an intro, with me <laughs> I had an intravenous going into his arm when they forced me to take him off life support and I lost the battle for my dad. And this oh. type of shit is what makes me an activist now. I don't want to be. I don't want to be standing up and having to shout and scream. I'm not a politician. I'm not, I'm not that person, but I am not happy with the state of affairs. If you've got someone who's dying and you have no other options, why can't I do whatever? I, I had power of attorney. I had uh, his agreeance to it. Why the hell not? 
you know? 100%, 100%. And that's where that law comes in and you need to look at it for, I don't know, your country, yeah. but yeah. I don't know if they have it for New Zealand, but it's one of those things. Now, I, you, you're 100% right. Like at that point, it's called extreme measures and I will just, I'll do whatever I want, whenever I want. If that means to go down to Mexico and get a bag of Coke and snort a bag of Coke and that's what I need to do, I'll do it. I, I will figure it the hell out, right? I, I, At some point, you just don't care because all of a sudden the laws don't apply. What are you going to do? You're going to keep me in prison the rest yeah. of my life? <laughs> <laughs> You're dying anyway. live like two weeks. So forget you. But, the, right? you know, in the situation I was in, he was intubated, intubated in an ICU unit and I, I physically couldn't pick my dad up and take him. You know, he would have died instantly. I could, I was literally no options except right. to fight now, the bureaucracy. When, when you're at end of life like that, you, you have the critical care pulmonologist people that you have to make sure that they are. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's a tough part. And remember, these people see this stuff every day, day in, day yeah, out. Yeah, they don't you care. Know. It's not their dad. Right. It's not their dad, uh, but they've seen a hundred dads go like that and it sucks, but they're kind of, that's their gig, right? That's their job. But you know, to, to, to a hammer, everything is a nail, right? (laughs) I'm a hammer. I'm going to nail it like this. Right. So it's like, at some point, not everything's a freaking nail. And I don't care if you're the smartest critical care pulmonologist in the world. I love them. I, I have a wonderful friend who is one. I don't care if you're the smartest one in the world. If you're not looking at it from a different perspective and outside your rose-colored glasses, because everybody has rose-colored glasses on, right? Mm. I mean, this is my bias. What's yep. your bias? Right? Yeah. You know, Same. yours yeah. is to more science and go more into, you know, peer reviewed published study papers and, and you don't have to have all of them, but you know, maybe an N of like 50 or 70 would be okay. Whatever. Everybody draws their own line. Right. So. Exactly. Exactly. Joe. Hey Joe, I've taken up a huge amount of your time. I just want to say thank you so much for the super interesting conversation that I think is really going <laughs> to get people thinking and laughing and, and interesting. I mean, I could talk to you for hours. I, you know, love to, to, to dive all into the aeronautic stuff and the, the, the diving stuff, but you're just a fascinating man with an incredible story. And I thank you so much for being on my show today. Yeah. Big heart oh, to you too. You. I really appreciate it. And look, if, if you ever want to call back and talk about something else, uh, we don't even need to be online. Let's just call back and have a, have a chat. I'd love to be able to go, Hey, I know, I know this girl in, uh, in New Zealand, man. Uh, we go out there, you know, drink and party and whatever it is that we're going to do, you know. Oh man, I'd love that. I'd love you to come over here once this place opens up again and this COVID shit buggers off and we can go back to normal. I hope one right? way and actually get to meet fabulous you. diving there and great surfing. We do. I, I live. I live two seconds from the beach. My brothers are really top surfers, and we can we can take you. We can take you around the coast. Take you. Take you surfing, mate. <laughs> love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Know people in foreign countries and do cool things, right? So yeah, absolutely. No, by, by all means, you know the drill. But uh, yeah, no. So to your listeners, thank you very much. Really appreciate the time. And to you, Lisa, you're 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 incredible. I mean, you, everybody knows your background because they're on your show, but. You're, you're, as I read your stuff, I was like, damn, I'm, I'm, I'm a little intimidated. Actually, I'm a lot intimidated, but I'm not going to say it, right? So it's really cool to have somebody that has been there and done that interview you. So thank you very much for that. Oh, Joe, that's really kind. Thanks, mate. And we will definitely talk again. That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends and head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com.